Hey everyone, and welcome to Behind the Bee Box. I'm your host, Sherry, and I'll be interviewing passionate, courageous people who love what they're doing and are on top of their game. I want to share their journeys, lessons, and tips with you. We also discuss different facets of workplace culture and leadership. Plus, we'll dive a little deeper into thought-provoking topics we think you'll love. I truly hope it makes a positive difference to your life, workplace, or business. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. In this episode, I speak with Laura Conti, co-founder of Go Kindly, a social enterprise that gives 50% of profits to supporting vulnerable women, plus all of their products are ethically sourced. I met Laura years ago during my time at Telstra Digital. She was my go-to commercial lead and she's always been a fun, high-energy person that people are drawn to. I was really excited to speak with her about her journey, how Go Kindly started, and her thoughts on leadership and where she believes workplace culture is heading. I'm really sorry about this episode's audio. We were in a large room and our voices sound a little echoey. Thanks for listening in and I promise I'm working in the background to improve the quality of these episodes. Thank you, Laura, for joining me. I'm so excited to have you on and I'm really looking forward to everyone and myself getting to know you on a more personal level. So I'd like to start off by uh, giving listeners a little bit of context sure. so they get a taste for who you are and um, so i like to kick off with who are you and what's made you you? Sure. Um, well, that's something I felt very uncomfortable answering for most of my life. Um, it's only been the last kind of three odd years that I've felt comfortable really talking about who I am and what makes me who I am. So I have always kept very much to the, look, I'm an accountant and um, just leave me alone to go over and account Nicole, would you please? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't leave me with my calculator. <laughs> I'm good over here just calculating shit. Yeah. Um, in reality, that's been a means to an end. Um, so I come from a very, um, I come from a background of difference, I think is the best way to clarify me. I grew up very different. I'm very different to mainstream accountants and mainstream people. Um, and I've had to pretend for a long time that I could be normal. Um, so I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian family um, in rural New South Wales. I am um, very, very closeted kind of life. Um, grew up without television, without music, without radio, um, just very um, non-mainstream. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, yeah, grew up in this very secretive family and very in community, um, very large extended family. I think at last count I had 26 first cousins and, oh, wow. you know, lots of second and third cousins. And so I grew up in a very big, rich community, but it was very, um, very rigid. Um, so the person I grew up is not the person I am now and I've had to go through a lot of change to be who I am and it, I guess I'm yeah, very much defined by difference in that I grew up in this community where I feel different to the rest of the world. But in lots of ways I also felt very different to my own community because you know I was who I am now. I was very flamboyant. I was very loud. I was very funny. Um, I had a big personality and you know anyone who knows anything about these communities knows that's not that doesn't fit in. So I was very different to that community, even from a very young age. So I, you know, I battled all my life with being different as a young kid, very different to all of my cousins and second cousins and third cousins and aunts and uncles. 
but also not mainstream. And so, you know, as a, as a 19, 20-year-old when I left, I didn't belong anywhere. I didn't belong in my community. I also didn't want me. And then I also didn't belong in the outside world where I knew nothing about life outside my own family and community. So, yeah, that's who I am. I'm somebody defined very much by being on the outer and by being non-mainstream. And um, But I'm also a really happy, flamboyant, um, creative curious person I see you in that way as well and I'm wondering how did you it was really brave for you to leave and go out on your own at 19 especially when you felt I didn't realize at the time it was and I still don't feel it I almost feel like I had no choice I didn't belong in that community I didn't really belong out here either but I didn't feel like I could stay so how did you how did you decide to just leave like what what was the thought process behind making that decision to leave that that family and that community? I didn't realise what I was doing. I very, very naively thought, I don't believe in this God anymore. And I very naively thought, well, I'll I'll literally just stop going to church. Very naive, didn't realise that actually in stopping to participate in that religion, I would lose everybody. I didn't, I mean, I was not, I didn't have a clue that that's what would happen. That happened very gradually in the decade or so afterwards in that, um, people just stopped speaking to me. So, you know, my cousins, not my first cousins, but definitely my second and third cousins would cross the street rather than talk to me. I lost contact with my family. Um, it just became difficult to maintain contact. Yeah. Um, became a lot of conflict. and So I didn't, I had no clue that I was losing everybody. Um, thank goodness, because I think if you looked into that and realised that that would be the outcome, maybe you wouldn't leave. But um, also, I very gradually build up a life outside. I've made friends. I'm married. I've, you know, I've got a different life. And I guess there's a transition period where you are moving away from them and you're finding your own life as well. So I just, I just no longer felt that it was honest. I didn't feel that I could be who I was. Very strict clothing. I never, I never liked having to wear very specific clothing. I never, um, I never liked the way I had to have my hair done. And, I just, there were just too many rules that didn't make sense to me. Um, yeah, and, it was, and I really just thought I don't want to participate in that anymore. Very gradually lost everybody. So. Mm. Yeah. And how did you manage, because I see you as a really strong person, how did you handle some of those times when you were losing contact with people that you considered your family? And the reason I ask is if people are going through something similar where they made a change in their life and all yeah. of a sudden people don't see them in the same light anymore because yeah. of a personal decision that can be that can be heartbreaking so what did you do like what would you what advice would you give for someone going through something similar oh gosh um I don't know it's a good question I've never really thought about it like that I think um for a long time I didn't realize it was happening to me it's a little bit again naive yeah <laughs> I would force myself on them <laughs> so they're across the streets I'd be like Oh, you know, like, and so then you didn't realize they were walking away. No, from but you lots of times I didn't until, in, you know, later on, I didn't want to talk to me. You know, and, and even um, in the later stages of me leaving, you know, I would go to church events and I'd go to things and people would, you know, actively move away from me. But, you know, I'm quite a flamboyant person. And I would just kind of start talking, you know. And only now when I look back to think, oh, God, Laura, they didn't want to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It sounds like. It, it sounds like you just maintained being yourself. I did, yeah. And just being continued 
it, the advice sounds like continue just to be true to yourself. To and who you, you are. are. Yeah. yeah. I never I never wanted to and be know, to speak to yeah. people. Yeah. I never wanted to be a good person. Correct. Yeah, move to your values. Like yeah. my values would never be to, to cross the street, not to talk to somebody or to because that's not in my personality type. Um, but also like sometimes it's good to reflect on the people in your life and go, oh goodness, they're really alone to me right now. And I think that's also something that it's at different points I've looked at and gone, yeah, I don't know if we've got the same values anymore. Yeah. So maybe it's okay if you cross the street to get away from me. I would never cross the street to get away from you. <laughs> Sometimes I would cross the street to get away from me, to be fair. Oh, and so living that kind of lifestyle and then stepping out, you spent, you've spent 15 years in the finance and yeah. commercial industry. Yeah. And like you said before, your personality isn't the stereotype accountant, right? No. You're, you're very much about knowing what's going on across the entire business, um, being involved in how the way you can to help out versus just being the numbers person. Yeah. So what do you think has led you to becoming obsessed with the finance commercial side or maybe not obsessed maybe how did you fall into that and then become the type of finance person that you are yeah I've done a lot of reflecting on that because I never loved accounting um still don't love it I work in it as a means to an end and I guess that's how I fell into it is in that I didn't have a fallback plan I had to have a job and it's as simple as I looked up where you could get jobs and went to did accounting because people hired accountants. Like it really is that simple. Um, yeah. So question, did you literally, what would, so. I literally opened up a What book. did that look like? Tell us what that looked like. So it was uh, 1999. Um, there, I was at university already, but I don't know. I mean, I didn't even, I didn't know anything. Yeah. I literally went into a book in the careers room at the university. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a bit like it was a bit like it was like a careers book that said like who was like hiring different jobs, like and who hired and whatever. And I just flipped through and found the one with the highest number, which was I think it was actually in the commerce degree, was the most likely one to get hired. And then it had underneath a list of who hired people with commerce degrees, and it was all the accounting firms. And I was like, oh well, that'll do. Okay, so you basically <laughs> you basically went by how like what out like what's the demand is it the greatest demand yeah, um, and that's where I'm going to go it's going to be easy for me to get a get job. job yeah okay and I had no thought process whatsoever as to was I the right personality type <laughs> clearly <laughs> I was not you know like who were the other people like I, I was just like yep job that'll do yeah and then so your first job that you landed was at PwC mm. so tell us how you went from I have no idea what I'm doing with my life to landing a job at a B4. Because I think that's really impressive. Oh, you know, I had, can I tell you again, I had no idea who PwC was. <laughs> I also didn't really care. Yeah. I had a job. Um, yeah, so uh, I applied to the graduate program. Um, again, went to the careers office, downloaded all the people who, you know, offered um, graduate jobs and I applied to their graduate program. Um, I didn't know who PwC was. Um, I went along to all the interviews. I had good marks. I um, got a job. Yeah. And I turned up. And you, so obviously you were great at numbers. No. You? Oh, you were? No. You are now. Well, here's the so thing. What I'm good at commerciality. I look at a problem and I go, how much will that cost? How much can we make from it? What's the difference? There's your profit. Yeah. I'm good at commerciality. Make it sound uh, really simple. Uh, honestly, I, I, I can barely tell you what 10 plus 10 is. I cannot, like, I need a calculator to do numbers. I'm not good at numbers. I'm good at the commercial side of things and the wheeling and dealing. 
that's mm. that's how I fell into accounting. Yeah, and 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 it's probably also that that skill has probably led you to go kindly as yeah, well, seeing a problem in the world. Yeah. Um, so, do you want to talk about your passions outside of? Numbers. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. So I would label you as a numbers person. Yeah. Look, I my career. So I spent fifteen odd years working inside different financial roles and commercial roles inside big businesses. Where I met, where I met you inside big business, but also inside very small, what we now call startup businesses. When I was starting out, we didn't call them startups; they were just small businesses. So I spent a lot of time inside some startups in the UK and then here in Australia in inside retail businesses. And then big business, and I think, in fact, I know that I watched and watched for a long time what people, where the money went, and watched, well, we made a profit, where does that get reinvested, how does this stuff work? Mm-hmm. And I realised that sometimes what people spend their money on isn't the same things I would spend money on. And so I started over time thinking, I could build a business and use that money to drive change in the world or to drive things that I'm passionate about. So... Yeah, that, that sort of 15 odd years watching other people spend money has been really helpful in clarifying for me that you can drive social change through profit um, and that you don't have to have a non-for-profit or a charity in order to drive change. And then I think I've also got I'm curious and interested in the world. I'm passionate about change and social justice. Um, so that's led me to building my own business. And can you talk about how you came about um, realising that you were passionate about these things because I find a lot of people actually struggle with identifying what they really care about in the world and mm. how they want to contribute and what dent they want to make in the world, yeah. whereas someone like you, you just know, like, you know, this is this is the change I want to make, this is how I want to make it, I've seen the problem and I'm going to go for it. So do you mind talking a little bit about that as well? Um, look, I think there's there was a few ways I could have gone about it. And to be honest, I tried to find the most palatable way because I think some of my experiences are so non-mainstream that building a business around that purpose wouldn't have appealed to lots of people. But, so I tried to pick one of my experiences that was a bit more mainstream and that is housing stress or homelessness mm-hmm. um, because I felt like it's something that it's a, it's a big problem, but it's also something that people can conceptualise a little bit easier than some of my other life experiences. Um, and I felt like if I'm going to build this business that I want it to, to help solve a problem that I've experienced. Um, so, yeah, I chose homelessness or housing stress. And it really stems from me needing help. You know, I left my community with a couple of stripy bags of clothes and bedding. I didn't have really anything. I certainly didn't have anyone to go home to. I didn't have a home. I lived on campus at university and um, sometimes didn't have money for food. So I would go to the um, to the local um, church and they would always give food. So I think for me it was about raising awareness that it happens to everyday people. It doesn't just happen to some theoretical person in some place in some other suburb. It happens to people in your life. They just maybe don't talk about it, mm-hmm. maybe you don't ask the right questions, maybe you're not taking notice of that. So, yeah, it was all about raising awareness of something that other people could grasp and, and then also making a real difference, which is I don't want it just to be talk, I want us to be making an impact. Yeah, for sure. 
and I didn't I didn't realize that you actually had that experience yourself. Yeah. Um. So I'm really so, I'm really sorry to hear that. But what I what I really Thank like you, you don't need to be sorry. <laughs> I know, but this is how I feel. Um. But what I really like is how you're using what you know about the world to make it better. Yeah. And um, I read somewhere that you were saying that there was forty nine thousand people. Um, in the last census, that have been identified as homeless women. So that's women, not even including women. women. It's just women in this country. Forty nine thousand, which is every single night, which is crazy. It's not okay. It's not and okay. you know I know from my own experiences that I would never have identified as being homeless, and so I know that that forty nine thousand does not encompass everybody who's experiencing housing stress or, or is maybe without a safe roof. That that is the people who choose to identify. And so it's a big problem. And I think when you see people in the streets outside the station sleeping rough, that's like, that's the tip of the iceberg. Well, underneath that is all of this, you know, people couch surfing, people sleeping in cars, people living in caravan parks. It's a big problem. Mm-hmm. And with with what you're doing, um, what, I, what I also like is that you want to make people, everyday people feel empowered to yeah. be able to make a change. Yeah. Uh, and I think you also told me once that that's such a big problem. It's on, it's almost like what you're doing sometimes doesn't feel like it's enough, or you're doing anything to contribute. Yeah. But if you think about it, if every single person does something small, that's when change can really happen. Yeah. So do you want to talk a little bit about what you're actually selling through Go Kindly, what's coming, and how much you're giving away back to the charities you care about? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think. Um, it can be overwhelming because there's there are a lot of problems in the world and there's a lot of charities out there too. Mm-hmm. So for me it's about sort of offering everyday goods everybody needs um, and that you're going to buy anyway. You're going to buy a pillow anyway. Um, it's about offering, in particular with GoPan, we do bed and bath products. You're going to buy a pillow. So why not buy with us and know that 50% of the profit is going back to helping women get a roof over their head. So, yeah, basically we at the moment have two pillows live. We have a kid's pillow and an adult's pillow. Um, And they've been selling really well. I'm as popular as a four-pack, which has been amazing because in my mind when I started this, people bought one pillow and um, people don't buy one pillow. People buy four or six and so my business problem is completely different to what I thought it looked like. I had all my packaging for one pillow, all my tags. <laughs> yeah. People buy four, and I'm like, well, I can't fit four in the packet. So anyway, look, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, people buy them for their in-laws. People buy them for their holiday houses. People buy them for their spare beds. They buy them for their dogs. You know, you're going to buy pillows anyway. So the idea is why not buy them in a way that gives back to the world. Yep, I love it. I love this concept so much. So if you all need anything better, but you've got to head to Go Kindly. Yeah. And um, I wanted to congratulate you on the ING Dreamer oh, competition because I think it's it's just so amazing that you, you deserve it and you've been identified as a business that, you know, is giving back to the world and they've helped you. They've helped mm-hmm. you out. Do you want to talk about sure. what that meant? What that meant for you, and what it meant for Go Kindly? Yeah. So in the very early days of um, of setting up Go Kindly, 
we really just reached out to anyone who had an interest in social enterprises and just tried to build connections and build um, networks. And one of the ones that landed was ING Dreamstarter, which is a program where they will co-contribute funding um, through a crowdfunding program. So you commit to raising a certain amount of funds for a program of work and they will match it. So we, um, yeah, we raised 20500 somewhere around that. Um, see, told you it wasn't good numbers. Amazing. That is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I know. In order to expand and get our own workspace. So we've operated out of our front front room at home for the first probably eight or nine months, um, which is good because, you know, it's nice to be at home when you're working. But it just got too squishy. And so we, we worked with ING to do some crowdfunding and then they contributed, co-contributed and we've now got a little workspace near us in Coburg North or Faulkner. So it's, I mean... Do you know what else? It's put us into contact with lots of other fabulous social enterprises, which is really nice to have a community as well. But also, I can't speak more highly of ING. Honestly, like you, you have these corporate programs. Where you think, oh, you're just another cog in the wheel, you know, and, and they'll just churn it out, you know, and they'll forget about you. But they've invited us to events. They introduce us to their CEO. They buy our products. Like it's it's a partnership, which is like wonderful. And they've really shown that they truly care about what they're doing yeah. by, you know, supporting you in that way. Absolutely. And they've got a Christmas campaign coming up where we're selling in their foyer to their employees. Like, it's it's a really lovely relationship. That is awesome. Which is really nice for a corporate. <laughs> no offence to anyone no waiting for the corporate, which we both did. Or a long time, yes. Um, that yeah, that is so great, and I'm sure um, you've had you. How long have have you had GoCardio for? I was thinking about this earlier today. Actually, our birthday is on 28th of December, so we've wow. been thinking about the about it for about a year beforehand, but we didn't get a chance to pull it all together until we had Christmas break last year. Between Christmas and New Year, we had a bit of a holiday at Apollo Bay, and we were like, right, we're gonna like do this. So 28th of December is our first birthday. So eleven coming up for eleven months. Wow. 10 months. I months. Wow, I can't believe how fast that's. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, you know, there had been a lot of pre work in the year before that, trying to nut out, like, how do we want this to work, et cetera, et cetera. And then we hit the ground running in that the moment we started. Um, and I also read somewhere that you said you wish you had started this 10 oh, years ago. Yeah. And if someone just told you, just go start, go just go do it. it. Um, and now that you've had this experience of transitioning and starting this, for someone who has an idea or they've got that itch just to try something, you know, it doesn't matter if it's going to be big or small, just to try something, how would you, uh, what advice would you give to them to help them put a process or a framework together to start doing that and actually executing on what their idea is? I think we're in a really, really special time. If I had done this 10 years ago, there wouldn't be the tools there are now for me to have done it as quickly or as easily. Things like Shopify, things like Stripe, things like PayPal. There's this whole infrastructure underneath that just makes it so much easier to do. So, you know, it's very much about test and learn. Did I know that, that pillows were going to be the right product? Hell no. But I was like, it's something everybody needs. And I was like, I'll buy six of them and I'll test them out and see where they go. So it's really about... Low margin, low overhead, test and learn. If that fails, you move on to the next thing. And it's, I mean, I remember setting in my goals Christmas time last year, set up the infrastructure and work out what product works. So for me, I would say just get the infrastructure, understand what your business model is and work out what product works. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously different business models work in different ways, but 
we're very we're at a very good point where in history where there's so much infrastructure to help small business set up and grow. Um, so, and, and when you talk about um, infrastructure, you're you were referring to like Shopify, all the payment products, etc. Yeah. When you say business model to someone who might not be commercially savvy, what would that mean for them? What's your profit going to look like? Like very early on, work out how much does this product cost me to buy? How much can I sell it for? What's the difference? And what do I what do I need to spend money on to make this work? So. You know, Shopify costs a certain amount a month. Stripe costs a certain amount a month. Hiring someone's front room might cost a certain amount a month. Yeah. You know, work out how much your costs are. Work how much you can sell it for, and you know, work out what your profit is. And and I really also like your branding and the Go Kindly brand. Did you guys just come up with that yourselves? Oh dear. So I am. As you know from a previous life, I have worked inside a small business where I actually felt really lonely. So I um, I signed up to work at a co-working space in, in the city, which was set up for women. It's called One Roof, and it's an amazing place. It's just full of really entrepreneurial, interesting women. So I was working there occasionally, and I ran into a designer um, who I got chatting to, blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, over that Christmas period when we came up and we were like, right, we're going live, I emailed her and said, can you just make me up something really rough? <laughs> just mock this. Just, just like I, I literally drew it on a piece of paper. It was like hashtag go kindly. Like whatever you need to do just to make that formal. Yeah. I don't know if this is going to be successful. If it's successful, maybe one day we'll come back and we'll do yeah. something else with it. If it's not, like whatever. Yeah. And she just mocked it up over Christmas. Yeah, I love that. So it's really very rough. Um, but it's simple and it's black and white, which is very um, striking. This is look, there's lots of things I like about it, but it, really it was like me over Christmas with a hashtag. No, I like that. I like that story because it makes it uh, possible for people to do something similar. So I think like just hearing what you're saying, being able to identify, you know, all the things that will cost to run a business, what you can sell it for realistically, how long it might take, um, meeting people that don't, that have the skills that you don't um, are really important. And, you know, you did this all with a kid. And, yeah. and you were working full-time, I have to say. Yeah, I was, yeah. So can you talk about the time management skills here? Because that's pretty – I think that's pretty incredible what you did. Oh, God. So can I be, like, really honest? Yes. I have no off button. So <laughs> I have a lot of energy and I have always needed a lot of different projects on the go at once in order to harness my energy. Yeah. So I have always had a lot of little projects on the go. So, you know, you might recall before I did this, I had a house renovation. <laughs> before I did that, I had a motorbike ride. And before, you know, I've always got a few little big things or big things on the go at once because I have a lot of energy and I, I do enjoy meeting people, doing different things. So, look, this probably was one of the bigger things I've done is have a baby. Work full time. And lots of launch your business. But you know what else? I was talking to somebody else recently and they're like, why don't you outsource parts of your business? But I'm like, you know what? I'm stuck at home with a baby half the time. What am I going to do with my time? I may as well do this. Otherwise, I'm going to sit there watching TV. So, I don't know. It was kind of like, I'm here with a baby. I didn't really think. I mean, I sleep all the time. <laughs> okay, so you found the time for having a baby to do stuff and the energy. Yeah, and the energy was a hard part, I've got to be honest, because you do they do suck a lot of life out of you, a lot of energy, because yeah. they don't sleep you know, normal patterns like normal human beings. They're like little aliens. But I don't know, you just, 
we stuck at home with him. Yeah. You might as well use that time productively. Also, what I'm hearing, like the energy that you that you're finding, you've obviously invested in things that genuinely light you up, and that's what mm-hmm. gives you that energy. Would you say? Yeah, true. I think I probably had to experience in life a lot of things that weren't enjoyable. So I just refuse to put energy into things I don't enjoy anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I just seek out things that I enjoy. I, don't, I just yeah, I'm pretty uncompromising yeah. about things I don't enjoy. I'm not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> just not doing it. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. love that. That's 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 probably where all the energy comes from. Busy <laughs> over here doing things I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. And so through, throughout this whole process and actually looking back on your life, um, what for the like for the purpose of people who are listening who might have shared a similar um, struggle or share the same weakness as you, could you talk about uh, maybe some of the things that you're not so great at or that you've had challenges with, and talk about how you've managed it and how you've become better at it or how you decided to handle it? Look, I, I think I said it before. I don't really have an off switch. I have a lot of energy which can be exhausting for people who don't work in the same way. So I have learned over the years to put my energy into different projects and into different things so that I don't burn other people out. Because they they have the right to live their life the way. They don't need to operate at 500% like I do. So I have to harness my own energy in a way that I don't burn out the people around me. So, yeah, I I think I've had to learn that. Um, and when you say um, the people around you, you're talking about people you work with, your family, friends. I, work, I mean, when I worked inside corporate, I, I, was, I was always on. Um, I used to have to turn my emails off so that they didn't go out of my outbox until 8 o'clock in the morning because I was very conscious that I didn't want my team getting emails from me at ridiculous hours. So I've, I've probably always had to manage that energy level into my teams. Um, and there's self-awareness that comes with that as well in realising that I could burn them out, put them under pressure to reply, you know, if I'm emailing them at 9 or 10 o'clock at night. Um, and, yeah, to learn to have a good couple of holidays a year where you do turn off, that's been really big learning for me is that it's so refreshing to just turn off a couple of times a year. Yeah. And how did you, how did you learn that you had all this energy that you it could be affecting people around you. And then the second question is, and then how did you learn what to do? Because you said you spread it into different things, but how did you come to realising that that's what needed to happen? Well, look, probably I've always been somebody who's open to feedback. So, yeah, I definitely remember different points in my career where, where people on my team would say to me, gosh, you know, you're always online, it's, you know, like, do you ever slow down? And I think, oh, my God, maybe I don't slow down. Mm -hmm. So I think I've always been open to feedback as well. So I have heard that, you know, previously in previous career lives about my level of energy. But also it comes quite naturally to me to have different pieces of work on at once. Um, So I, I also think a lot of that comes back to my upbringing where, you know, we came from a farming family where, you worked from the minute you got up to the minute you went to bed. And so I think there's a lot of role modelling in that as well in that, you know, unconsciously I've picked that up as well. So I've just learned over the years to divert it into different things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my husband will tell me flat out, like, you put the iPad down. <laughs> you know, you like, need some more time. Yeah, you get, you get, I, I get a lot of feedback. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good, it's good to hear. It sounds like that, that self-awareness piece and also 
you being open to receiving feedback and taking action. So the recording cut out here for about 30 seconds, but we were speaking about building great networks and how it's different for everybody. Laura is an extrovert and we're talking about how her husband is more introverted. So I wanted to ask her how she's created such a great network of really good people. So if you're extroverted and you want to get out there and meet more like-minded people, what advice would you give? Gosh, I feel like maybe extroverted people might not need the advice. Well, I think they do. Maybe it's the introverts. No, it is. Oh, look, even you know people who don't necessarily have a strong network. I think it's yeah. finding um, places where you can meet people who are interesting and have similar needs to you. So, look, things like One Roof has been wonderful because I get to interact with lots of other women who are at the early stages of setting up businesses who you know, have a whole lot of different skills. Um, and networks that they can tap into. Um, even like I'm quite an artistic person, so things like groups, you know, like art and um, theatre and music, like even those groups are interesting with different types of people to network with. So look, I think just leverage what you're interested in, yeah. be interesting, meet interesting people. Yeah. yeah. Easy. No, it's not really. <laughs> it's really not. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, I like it. I think I think knowing I think getting to a place where knowing who you are, what you like, and putting yourself in those situations where other people are enjoying the same things as you. Look, and whatever you do, don't just sit at home. Do you know what I mean? It's it's also about participating in the world outside in ways that you enjoy. So you will naturally come into contact with people if you're participating in things that you enjoy. Yeah. And this goes really um, weaves in nicely to the next question because you've also said that as a leader, you're direct, open and big on relationships and delivery, delicately partnering with passionate owners, directors, executives to deliver great products and sustain fabulous cultures. Yeah. I love that. And just like you, I'm really passionate about investing in people and relationships and creating uh, really great cultures to work in. Mm-hmm. So in in today's world, what would you say is the type of leader that is needed to move people through continuous rapid change and to be able to maintain that great culture based on the experience you've had? You know, I think that we're in a really interesting point in the development of companies and culture. I don't think we're there yet. I think we're in a very rapid a point of rapid change because the leader of the past is not going to serve businesses and companies and cultures well into the future and that is because there's a whole thing around conformity in my opinion that culture is built on this conformity idea that people are similar and they fit in and they toe the line and they shut up and they just behave the way everybody else does in this group thing manner and one of the things that I've had to do is do that but it hasn't felt comfortable or easy and so I can see that there is a next generation and, you know, GoFundMe is very much built for these people as well who want the world to be different. And, you know, the, the Gen I think Gen Z, they're quite young now, they're not yet in the workforce, but they're coming and the kind of leader they're going to want is someone who sees them as a whole person, who doesn't expect them to sit in the corner with the calculator and shut up and behave like everybody around them. And so I can see that the next leader needs to be somebody who can see people as individuals and leverage people's differences rather than expecting conformity as a culture. The culture would be a much more um, well-rounded concept than conformity, which is what it often means at the moment. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I've seen 
you're right, even today I, I've seen that in cultures where you're getting people on board that are the same as everybody else. Yeah. Um, so I absolutely agree. How, how would you say you have brought out the individuals in the teams that you've had or that you've worked in? Sometimes it's been very difficult because when you work within a culture that expects you to conform as well as a leader, it's quite difficult. So you do where you can encourage people to bring pieces of themselves to work, you know, to have days off to look after their new puppy, to, um, you know, to bring who they are to work and to talk about who they are. But, you know, of course, you know yourself that you're participating in some of this group thing as well. So it is quite hard. Um, and I do hope that, that leaders and teams of the future are able more to bring that out in people. Yeah, to, sure. You know, talk to people about being different and hire people who are different. You know, one of the things that I've always hated is, you know, the thing on the CV about what school you went to and what university you went to and what degree you've got. And so it's like, it's shit. But that's not what makes the person. That's not their life experience. Like it's just subtle changes in that, I think, as leaders, we probably need to step up into a bit more that we're not. Yeah, I actually really like that example as well of just, okay, putting aside all of these credentials you have and just tell me what you care about, who you are, where you come from, what's your story. Yeah. It just makes working, it brings humanity into a business, right? Yeah. Um, And this is a related question, but when we talk about workplace culture, how would you define workplace culture? Oh, gosh. For me, what I hope workplace culture is and what I'm trying to build in my own business is that your life is also your business. And so who you are in your life is also who you are at work and, and that you are able to share in a respectful way. You're able to challenge. You're able to put your ideas and your life experiences and your view of the world on the table because that's how problems get solved. So that's what I would hope that I'm fostering and I'm building by actively seeking out people who have different life experiences, who, you know, who are going to challenge me as well. I'm not sure if that answers your question. But. It does answer my question. And if you're doing that and you're seeking out, so say, for example, for Go Kindly, you're looking for that one person you're going to bring on board, how would you do that today? Um, I am very conscious of bringing people on who want to work with me. I'm probably not, in fact, I know I'm not somebody who's going to go to market and put an ad on Seek and say, I want an operations manager. I'm somebody who is probably going to go to my network and my network's network and say, I'm really looking for somebody who is a self-starter, who wants to grow, who comes from a background of, you know, maybe working front of house in retail or and say, I want somebody to grow with me and to partner with me and who wants to spend the next two years working with me but and grow into that, not necessarily go to market and say, here's the 17 things I want. It's to see potentially people and then to go to my network and ask them to help me find that person. And I'm probably not alone, I don't think, in doing it that way um, because I don't think we want to go to market and be flooded with people who can tick off everything. We want people with lives and experience and, I don't know, history. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really nice way to look at it, especially when you're thinking, 
when you're starting a business and the thought of that partnership, like having that partnership mentality with someone so that you grow together, you do things together, you can bounce with each other, learn from each other. Um, I think that that's not just for startups, but I think people, if people start putting that lens into the corporate world as well, wouldn't that be amazing where just because you're more senior doesn't mean you're right or or even the other way around. It's about just mutual respect. We're on the same level and we're just trying to... Can we work together to solve problems? Exactly. Can I put on the table what I think the solution is and debate that with you respectfully? Yeah. Um, Have you got real life experience to bring to the table? Because for me, it's really about real life experience. I don't really care what all these degrees are and what all these qualifications are you can tick off. I really want to know that you can stand in front of a customer and solve their problems. Mm. I really want to know that you've got conflict resolution and that you've had to get up every day and go to work even when you didn't enjoy it. Like, it's about, like, life experience, whatever that life looks like, rather than that you turned up and did all your assignments. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, and one question I really like asking is, what are some little things that you've Im- implemented in your life or work that have made a really significant, significant positive change? Um, look, my son's probably not a little thing. He's little. <laughs> Definitely stature. not a little thing. <laughs> but I think it's probably the biggest change I've made in my life um, because I just had no idea of what it meant to have somebody who loves you and you love them so much. Like, I just had no idea. And it really has changed a lot of the way I view things. I'm nicer. I'm gentler. I'm softer. I think that... That's the one thing in the last kind of two years. It's really like implemented in my life. So a big change, like a little bit subtle, subtle but big change. Yeah. Um, just, I just something about him has just shifted the way that I feel about the world. Just feel a bit gentler about it. Yeah. yeah. I don't think, and I don't think a lot of people think that way about starting a family either so mm-hmm. it's a really good insight for someone who doesn't have kids yeah. as well look and I'm not an overly maternal uh, maternal so I don't even know what the word is um <laughs> I'm not a man but you know I'm not an overly maternal or paternal person and so for me I, I think I didn't have any expectation either yeah. like of what it was to be a parent so it's been a, a very nice shift yeah, yeah. And how would you say, other than other than obviously your whole perspective changing and becoming more more gentle um, and like a softer type of person, what do you think has what do you, what else do you think has shifted that you didn't see coming, but that has that has helped you grow, and then you've been able to manage that someone else might be going through. Look, the transition to starting your own business is never easy. Mm. It always feels terrifying. I, I suspect nobody goes, oh, this is going to be easy. No. So, yeah. you know, to jump off the cliff and go, right, we're going back now from our Christmas holidays and we're doing this, set up and we're doing it. You know, it's a big leap of faith and um, I don't regret it, but it's not an easy leap to make. You know, and you're always thinking, God, what are the sales going to be next month? What are the sales going to be next week? You know, and we still haven't booked our holiday for March because we're like, you know, can we guarantee these sales are going to keep coming through? So there's always these levels of uncertainty, but you learn to live with it. You just sort of learn to go, well, it's doing okay now. I'm going to 
keep going. Yeah. Um, I really empathize with that, um, just the unknown, mm. <laughs> even something as simple as a holiday. Yeah. Um, and I like the fact that you're being really honest about it and you're not glori- glorifying what it is to be a business owner and an entrepreneur. I think it's really important for people know for people to know what the reality yeah. actually is. And sometimes there's money in the bank, sometimes there isn't. Yeah. And you sort of just got to back yourself and go, well, you know, I've got these skills. I know I can make this work. Just this is a bad week. Yeah. And this is a good week, but I'm still not going to move that holiday because I just don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's not glamorous, but it also it's very rewarding. And I don't think I've learned as much in such a short amount of time either. Yeah. That's the other upside. I think you learn quickly. Like, there's a problem now. Well, there's no one else around to solve it. I'm going to have to solve it. Yeah. There's no IT department to call. There's no, I don't know. Yeah. So yeah. you just get emails aren't working. Can't yeah. go work that out. There is no one to call. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. It's a deep end, but it's very rewarding as well. Yeah. No, I completely empathize with that. And um, yeah, I completely agree. But it's good because it builds up your confidence as well. It's you true. can actually get anything done really. Yeah. It just takes time and a lot of patience. Patience. Um, so to wrap things up, what I like asking people is who their heroes are. <laughs> um, so these people can be everyday people or people you look up to. They may be famous, they may not be. And I like asking who they are and why. Why they're your heroes. Yeah, I've really struggled with this question. When you sent it through, I was like, I don't know. And do you know what? I don't know because I don't know anything about pop culture. And it's one of those things I'm really ashamed of, but that I need to learn to embrace is that I just don't know anything about TV characters or movie yeah. characters. Or, I just don't know them. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I struggle with it. But I'm going to say Maya Angelou. Um, I don't know if you know about her, but you know, she had a really, really shitty childhood and early adulthood. And she just turned it around into this, like, or built it into something really rich and really beautiful. And she's left behind a wonderful legacy of, of great literature and poems. And and I think, imagine if I could do that. That would be amazing. Wow, I, I love her. Mm-hmm. And anyone who hasn't heard of her, they need to Google her. She's got great quotes. And like, do you have a favourite quote from her, by any chance? Oh, gosh, do I have a favourite? I've got one that I have to share. Yeah, please do. Because uh, my fa- my favorite is um, when you know better, you do better. Yeah, that's it's, one of my favorites. Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's, so, it's so simple. simple. Yeah, but it lets you let go of what your past was and what your mistakes were. Mistakes are, and makes yeah. you just go, "I'm, in, I can do better now." Yeah, I don't remember what it was, but there's another sentence before that one that's like. You do what you do until you can do better or something. And it's something before it that makes you think, oh, yeah, I've done bad things, but I can just somehow let go of them. And now I'm, I'm better than that. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it's just, she's got lots of good nuggets. Like, yeah. yeah. And her stories, you know, she's she talks very openly about mistakes she's made and things that she's done wrong and people she trusted too much when she shouldn't have. And she's kind of raw. But, do you mind giving a little bit of a spiel on her for maybe people who don't know her? Oh, yeah, sure. I'll do my best to remember. Just a high-level spiel. So she was born into a rather rather poor black family in southern America. I can't remember exactly which state. She was abandoned by her mother to her grandmother, from memory, with her brother. And then the mother left them with the grandmother, and they lived in a house from, from memory in a I could be telling this wrong. They didn't have, they didn't have a, a floor. They lived on a dirt floor. And a mum came back at some point and took the brother back and she was left with the grandmother alone um, for a lot of years. And then when she got to about 13, she, her mother came and took her back again and they went to California. 
and she was abused by her stepfather and she ran away quite young as a result of the abuse and she fell into prostitution because she's somebody that was very trusting and she, she was, thought she was in love with this guy who ended up pimping her out. And she just from there managed to kind of very slowly get money and build her life up to the point where she she was able to build a life. I think she was even like a showgirl sort of thing at some point and she just saved her money and she had children and built a different life in the end. Mm. So she came from this very poor kind of background of being abandoned or abused yeah. and running away and then just very, very – and then, you know, there was no light bulb moment where she, you know – Blew away the world. Well. She just gradually, gradually built up money and built up a life and started writing and yeah, had children mm-hmm. and built a different life. Mm-hmm. It's very. I love her story as well. And there was one part that I remember where she, after all the abuse, she actually didn't talk to anybody mm-hmm. and she went silent for a very she long time. And that's where she was reading, reading, reading non stop. And all of a sudden, she had just so much to say. Yes. Um, and, yes, that part of the story oh, really right. stuck with me. Yeah. yeah, she went home to the grandmother after she was abused or something, didn't she? Mm-hmm. And she ran away again. And she went home and she didn't speak for a while. Yeah. She just read. Yeah. 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 But, no, that's, yeah. A lovely, that's a lovely one. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. And thank you for your time today. Oh, you're very so welcome. Good. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And I'm sure we'll chat again soon. I'm sure we will. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey everyone, and welcome to Behind the Bee Box. I'm your host, Sherry, and I'll be interviewing passionate, courageous people who love what they're doing and are on top of their game. I want to share their journeys, lessons, and tips with you. We also discuss different facets of workplace culture and leadership. Plus, we'll dive a little deeper into thought-provoking topics we think you'll love. I truly hope it makes a positive difference to your life, workplace, or business. Thanks for listening. Thanks for taking the time to listen to Laura's journey. I myself didn't know about the details of her upbringing and the adversity she experienced in her younger years. It's not an easy story to tell and share with the world, and I really appreciate Laura for being vulnerable and letting us into her life the way she did. Her ability to stay true to herself and set up a life she loves outside of the world she knew growing up shows so much courage and strength. I really hope that by sharing Laura's story, we will make a positive difference to someone's life, be it in a small or big way. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of Behind the Bee Box. My journey with Brainy Box has inspired me to share what I've learned from others with you in the hope it makes a positive difference to your life, business or workplace. Your feedback and love is what keeps me going. So please follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn at Brainy Box or connect with me on LinkedIn at Sherry Amami. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. Have a wonderful week and I'll speak to you soon.